Hey everybody and welcome to the podcast of Nonsensical Gamers. This is episode 33. My name is Matt and joining me on today's cast are my two, mm, how do I want to describe you today, magical co-hosts, Miss Tiffany B. Hello. And Dan. Ladies. All right, everyone. If you want to connect with us, be sure to search for us on Facebook at the League of Nonsensical Gamers. You can always shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. You can always join the BGG Guild, number 2077. There's lots of good conversation going on over there. Or find us on Twitter, Instagram, wherever fine podcasts are found on the internet. We are there. Today's show is going to be a good one. We have our top of the stack for November, and we will recap October. And then we are going to jump back into the bin of questions from the BGG Guild and answer some of those. But before any of that, we are going to talk about all of the lovely games we've been playing. And this list is pretty long. So, uh, Tiff, what's one that you've been getting to the table? Well, I just got back from PaneraCon, so I was excited to get to play Above and Below, which is a Red Raven game. I want to hear about this. I mean, it looks similar to all of Ryan Lockett's games. Same art style, but kind of a different world where you're building up... A little town, I guess. Uh, and you're building buildings on the ground level, and then you're also exploring caves underground. And as you go through and you choose to explore, you commit your workers to, you know, do that. And then you roll a die, which takes you to the encounters book, and you experience something kind of a la RPG. And you make a decision on what you're going to do, and you reap the benefits or not. <laughs> and and that's the most interesting part of the game. The rest of it is kind of like a you're collecting different resources and you're trying to build up your income based on that. Uh, and, and that also gives you points in endgame. The different buildings can give you points in endgame. So you're just collecting different things to build up your sort of engine of your town. But the most interesting part of it is the exploring part. It's fun. There's dice rolling. Dan would hate it. Therefore, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's determining dice rolls, right? You know, yeah. Your success. There are uh, buildings that give you re-rolls and, and things like that. But for the most part, you're at the mercy of the dice. And I don't know. In, in this case, I found it to be fun and not frustrating. Had I failed everything, maybe I would think otherwise. But yeah. I mean, I, I lost miserably, but I thought it was fun. I've heard... Good reviews so far, um, but I have heard exactly what you said, that most of the game is kind of standard fare, and it's that storytelling thing that really twists it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'd have to play it some more, because there was one part of the game that we sort of ignored. You can, as you're getting these different goods, put them up for sale and actually do some negotiation for that, and mm. and and that can help you... Um, kind of save your actions to do other things. We were commenting on how throughout the whole game, we wish we had just like one more coin, one more guy, one more, you know, and I think that's generally a mark of a good game. But I think had we done some of that selling action, we could have possibly had one more coin, one more guy, you know, because it would have saved us from taking other actions that 
I don't know. It's it's hard to explain without, you know, either of you having played the game, but we did ignore a small section of the game and it might have had an impact. Yeah. On some of the like scarcity of resources. Yeah. That makes the game interesting. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Um <laughs> This is one that, so I've got this, I back this as well, and I've read the rule book and I want to get it to the table and Ben and Kel and Steve, I think this is one that we might get out on a Friday night. And the reason why I point that way is, Dan, you're not really interested in this one, are you? Nope. Most of the time I was playing, I was thinking, Dan would hate this. Dan would hate this so much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of Euro-y though, isn't it? Like it's a worker placement style game? Yeah, you can recruit different kinds of workers. There are just plain old workers and there are ones that build buildings and ones that train workers and, and they have different um, configurations. So certain die rolls will give them a success lower or higher. So you, you can kind of, you know, build your worker pool and it does feel like a worker placement game there. It's very much a marriage of storytelling and worker placement, but it's not enough worker placement to appease Dan. The dice rolling would just, I think, kill it for him. Um, Fair enough. I'm going to surprise you right here, everyone, because the reason I'm not interested in Above and Below is because I played Time Stories. I bought Time Stories, and Time Stories has now just set itself above the pedestal of Ameritrash storytelling games. I enjoyed the crap out of that game. <laughs> it was a excellent experience, and I honestly don't think Above and Beyond could come anywhere close to it. That's Above and Below. Just, I don't know. I just, this game was cool. So for those who don't know, Time Stories is the new Space Cowboys. Uh, it's a time traveling game. So you take on these agents of, what are you, like space cops almost. Yeah. And you're placing yourself into these receptacles within this narrative storyline, uh, which is a deck or two of cards that is comprised of locations that you can travel to on the map. And each of those locations has like clues and like trials and things like that you have to accomplish. And then at the end of the game, you either fail or succeed by, you know, running out of time, etc. Once you run out of time, you get to go back and restart and do it all again. So you take what you learned from the first run, apply it to the second run, maybe add in some efficiencies here or there, some things you saw on the first time, you know, you don't really need to because it's kind of committed to memory, etc. like that. So it was really neat. This game, again, production wise, it's Space Cowboys. That's all I need to say. Uh, the cards, excellent quality, magnificent art, uh, all the other components, sturdy, solid cardboard, everything like that. Really clean looking game. The The base game is supposed to be kind of like a console, I think is what they call it. So you like look at the box. The box looks like Steve Jobs designed it. It's like an Apple product in a way. Uh, it's just plain white with this like silhouette of a robot on it. And then the rest of the board is like white with some small kind of graphics here and there. But um, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to spoil it because... This is a consumable game. So these cases are kind of one and done. And so the base game comes with one case. Matt Kelly and I sat down last night at 10.30 p.m. And we opened it up, not expecting what was going to come out of this box or how long we would play it. Uh, one of the cool features of the game is it does have a save feature. So you can stop and save your game, so to speak. But we played it all the way until 3.30. We finished the game which I'll, we can talk about in a minute, but we did it. It was, we beat it was addicting. Stories. And 
I never really, I mean, I thought I would like it. I don't know why. And I can't really put a finger on why I thought I would like it so much that I bought it. But I'm just really intrigued by the the way that the modules are because they're going to be expanding. And each expansion is like a different period in time done by a different artist and a different designer and, and just it's a really neat kind of concept. I loved it. Like I actually like the first run through of the game, I actually kind of had chills. Like the story was kind of creeping me out and it was, it was really cool. And the puzzle we solved, like when we did it, that Eureka moment, like we all high fived, like it was, (laughs) it was really cool. And none of us were drinking either. So like I legitimately enjoyed this game and the experience it brought about. What did you think, Matt? Well, I like the idea that you didn't need any alcohol to lubricate the situation uh it it's legitimately a fun game tiff you need to go get this game and play it because you actually like fun things no i like fun so you will have a a really good time with this one you think i like this huh i i'm weirdly uninterested in it i feel like you just described above and below and i just described time (laughs) stories and they're they sound very similar dan being the anti-fun loved this game I will How do you say, not trust that? You know that any game that Dan and I both love, I you know. must go buy. That is my rule, generally. If you both like it, I will buy it. And I guess I will buy this. But, okay, go tell me more. I okay. want to hear more. So, I think that, like Dan said, without spoiling, it is a very engrossing game. It's obviously a choose-your-own-adventure storytelling kind of game, but... It's got this narrative element, it's got a deduction element and a problem-solving element that are all very engrossing for such a simplistic system. There's not a lot to the game. There's only three basic actions you can do, and yet with those basic actions and a couple of dice rolls every now and then, you really start to explore this world and it builds and it just sucks you in. This is the, I I think I can say this is the first game that I've had a legitimate emotional reaction to throughout the game because the storytelling so good, because you feel like you have a legitimate impact on the world. It's, it's super weird mm. how much, like I was scared at times, how much I was excited at times. And like Dan said, the moment that we, we solved one of the puzzles was just, it was, one of the best feelings I've had in board gaming because it was a cooperative effort. We we did it all on our own kind of thing. I don't know. It just felt really good. So maybe that's why I'm not interested. I don't. Yeah. I don't like feeling emotions. <laughs> this game will make you feel all the feels, Tiff. Ugh. All the feels. Let me let uh, me jump back in because yeah. I don't want to paint all roses because it oh is, well no there's we got to talk there's about some legitimate. Some downsides to it i mean like matt said it's a very simple system it has dice rolling which yeah um and it's the (laughs) it's the dice rolling that kind of determines a pass or fail like the kind i don't really care for but it was done in a way that kept it interesting and you could do it cooperatively it was kind of it was kind of neat in that way the other thing is the price point and i think this needs to be touched on and i think it has been touched on a lot recently on the forums on BGG on Twitter, et cetera. So I won't drag it out, but just my two cents. So base game retails 50 bucks. You get the console, which can be used for all the different missions and you get one scenario. Now again, MSRP is 50 online. You'll get it for 33 or something like that, which I find that to be a more reasonable price. It is consumable. So these cases are like one and done for like your main group. You could go back I could see with a whole different group of people and kind of like DM it in a way, like maybe not necessarily 
participate as much as you did the first time through, maybe just kind of guide the conversation and the the kind of the motives of the players. But it's spoiled after you've played it once. We've went through it and you see enough of the cards that it just it ruins it for you. But yeah, it's really spoiled. There's not that there's nothing to really explore the second time around. Yeah. So the model that Asmodee and Space Cowboys have kind of implemented is that they're going to release a new case every quarter. And these cases are twenty nine ninety nine. Now, again, I don't know what comes in them. We haven't seen them. I don't know if it's just another deck of cards. I don't know if it throws some more tokens or anything else into the mix, but it's a bit steep if you ask me and people compare it to the the video game model, all that crap. I'm not even looking at that. I'm going to look at it because I had fun with this. I'm looking at it as like I went out to dinner, you know, Matt and I sat down again, it's consumable and it only took us like four hours to complete the, the range. I've seen people say is like four to six hours. So I think of it as if I went to like Chili's for the evening <laughs> I hate that he uses chilies. I love chilies because I'm going to use it. And I got that (laughs) fajita and that queso dip, maybe a margarita. Like I dropped 50 bucks right there. And that was like an hour of my time. Plus any other time I have to spend in the bathroom the next day. Like (laughs) there's just like, that's not about four to six hours. Yeah. So from that standpoint, I think it's, I think it's okay. If you can kind of rationalize it that way. But I do understand if you have a tight gaming budget and you don't have as much disposable income, it's really hard to kind of recommend it at the MSRP because it is such a short experience. But at the same time, it was a really good experience and there's excellent art. And like I said, different designer every time. So it's going to be different and kind of cool. And the base game system that they have in place is really unique. And I think it's going to work well going forward so i'm interested to see it i understand both sides of the argument so i'm not really i'm probably just in the middle i could see it's either too expensive and not worth your time which in my case is okay don't buy it like no one's telling you you have to buy it if other people want to talk about it just let them talk about it you know that's my two cents and i had a couple of small issues with the story itself but i'm not going to spoil that overall i I had a really fun time with uh, matt yeah i think this is a great game group game if you have a group of people 5, 10, 15 people in like a local area chip in for time stories and then let it cycle around because, you know, only four people can play at a time. So this is a good one where it's like, oh, you can borrow it and and play it and get what you can out of it with your group. And then when the new expansion comes back, we'll kind of cycle it around as a like this is not a game that I'll ever buy because Dan has it. There's no reason to have two in such a small group. And, you know, Dan and Kel and I were talking about it is a good game where if you have like a dedicated game group of four people, everybody chips in five bucks every couple of months and you have yourself a new case and it kind of builds its longevity that way. But it is steep. I I get cranky about it more so than Dan. When I look at the money, you know, you're talking about almost 200 bucks MSRP to play this game four times. It's crazy. That is crazy. But like Dan said, online justify it as a meal kind of thing or like a movie date night you do get a lot of gameplay out of this you know four hours and it's a really great experience but i can see why people would be upset i feel kind of upset even after having such a good experience yeah the story drove it for me like mechanically it's basically dead of winter which we all know i do not like you know what I mean? Like it die rolling, moving to locations like that's that's basically the kind of the gist of it. But it immersed me much more than a game like Dead of Winter. I really was invested and involved and really kind of I was emotionally invested, as Matt said. Yeah. Like I wanted to succeed. Dead of Winter, I'm like, oh, I just don't want to roll that tooth. 
it rewards some thought. I don't, I think this game makes you feel clever. I mean, it guides you more than I think you realize, but it, it's got legitimate puzzles. It's got legitimate kind of intrigue and you have to take it upon yourself to balance, you know, the investigation. So I really liked that. It's all up to you. You've got to find the clues. You've got to find what to do. Um, it's not, it doesn't feel like handholding, even if it subliminally, maybe it is. It's hmm. awesome. Hmm. Stick it on your shelf. I don't know if I'm For going to stick For $35, on my shelf. stick it on your shelf. <laughs> if I stick it on my shelf, do I get your leftover adventures? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, possibly. <laughs> if you like right. it, I'll send you my cases. All right, deal. All right. One game that I played that I've already talked about. Pandemic Legacy is still happening. We had our second session. We sat down for the month of Febto- Febtober. <laughs> Febtober. That's a little uh, Alex Trebek. Anyway. Febtober. <laughs> we sat down for February and we were upset, nervous going in. We had lost twice in a row and... I was scared that we were going to have to open the box eight, which says if you lose four times in a row, open this box. Uh, but we ended up winning and the game took a really nice twist. We had a really good game of Pandemic. Some games of Pandemic spiral and some are too easy. This was a nice middle of the road. Felt like you were working hard to keep things under wraps um, and under control. So we worked really hard for it. We won. We got to open all kinds of fun stuff. It, I really like how the game's developing. It's changing. I got to stick stickers in the rule book. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, we still love it. We're going to keep playing it. You know, next week we'll go into the month of March or March, November. And uh, yeah, I just, I think it's really successful. And between Pandemic Legacy and Time Stories, I'm feeling this like consumable storytelling legacy kind of thing. It's it's really exciting to just have such a different game experience every time. So yes, Tiff. <laughs> So if you had to choose one or the other? We talked about this yesterday. This is tricky, too, because Pandemic is an $80 game, but you get 12 to 20 plays out of it, but then you have to throw it away and you can't expand it. So I think that Dan and I, the consensus that we came to, and Dan hasn't played Pandemic Legacy, but he knows enough to make an informed decision. The individual experience of Time Stories is better than Pandemic Legacy. The the sit down for four hours and play this game and get everything you can out of it, awesome for time stories. Pandemic is still Pandemic, and it develops much slower, but you get more gameplay out of it, and it's cheaper. So I think that for longevity's sake, Pandemic is where to go because you're never going to have to spend any money to get the other gameplays. If I had to pay 10 bucks every time to play Pandemic, that'd be different, but it's all in the box 80 bucks or cheaper, you know, 50 bucks online. So Pandemic has the longevity advantage. I like them both, though, and I fortunately have a game group where I get to play them all. So no worries for me. How nice for you. Sorry, Tiff. <laughs> Side note, I also played Between Two Cities again, and it's still weird. Oh, okay. That's a bummer. I don't think any of us are happy with it. Steve and Ben and I played three players, and it was... We finished it. We played it in 15 minutes. Yeah, that's how quick it was when I played it, three players. We're not going to get into it. What else did you play, <laughs> Tiff? <laughs> um, well, I this is something that probably everybody knows that I've played, but I thought I'd put it on here because I played it with my board game club kids, uh, and that is Potato Man. Uh, and if you don't know anything about that, it's kind of a trick. It is a trick-taking game where you play, there are four 
suits and you can't play the same suit. So you, you have to play a different color each time. And there are evil potatoes and potato, super potatoes that always beat evil. And it's a really simple trick taking game, but I thought it was perfect to introduce trick taking to my board game club and they loved it. I really want to play it. It's gr- I think it's great. It's a great little light sort of, you know, beer and pretzels like sitting down before dinner kind of quick game. The same way you would play pears is how I would play Potato Man. Um, is it that is it that light? It's pretty light. I mean, it's not Ooh, terribly pears. complicated. I mean, it's not okay. It's not as light as pears cuz pears okay. is just like play a card. But yeah. uh there's more thinking and there's more math to Potato Man, and Mm -hmm. it was really nice to watch the kids just start to figure out that they had to do that math, you know, because the different suits have different ranges of numbers, and, you know, the highest number is going to take the trick and and get the points, so they have to kind of be like, okay, I'm going to play this card. Well, he can only play red now, and red has the higher set of numbers, so they started to figure out how to how to math it out, which was kind of awesome. Because sometimes they don't get that deep into thinking out their strategy. But by the end of it, they were all doing that. So, yeah, Yeah. it was a success. I guess at this point, this is where we kind of crack our knuckles and we look at Dan and say, all right, what are your thoughts on Potato Man? (laughs) Don't play the game at five players. It sucks. Five players is weird because one player is allowed to repeat a suit because there are only four suits. It's not good five players. That shouldn't be ever be on the box. I don't know why they do that. but Yeah, it's kind of weird. I think it's best at four. Like Tiff said, it's light. I don't find the decisions all that interesting, to be honest with you, because of the restrictive nature of what you can play and what you can't play, depending on what everyone else has played. Like You're kind of forced into some things every once in a while, which at times can be an interesting decision. Other times, it's just like, okay, here. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it light, right? Yeah, I mean, no, that's- it's it's... It's a, it's an interesting game. I actually like the mechanic a lot, and I've been toying with it in one of, not toying with that, but toying with kind of a twist on the whole you can only play X kind of card because I think it's interesting. And what I think makes the game, what makes the game is the in the center of the table is the different potato sacks you can collect, and they're all worth varying values. So if you can time it right, so that uh, I forget the color, uh, the color kind of. breakdown but if you can time it right and get like the higher colored or higher pointed sacks based on playing you know the specific colored potato i'm i'm saying this very vague because i haven't played this here let me let me help so depending on what color you win with you get to take that color of potato sack card and like if you win with yellow, it has more potato sacks on it, and those are your points. If it's you win with red, yeah. which is the higher set of or, set of cards, then you would only get one sack on your card. And then if a certain color runs out, there are these ones that have five potato sacks on them. So you kind of have to hopefully plan out how you're winning too. Yeah, I like I like that tactical aspect of it, kind of determining how and when you can get the specific sacks from the middle but like i said sometimes it just feels almost like you're on rails at times with just what choices you have but that's fine i mean trick-taking games can end up like that depending on the hand you're dealt sometimes so overall i like it i just would never play it with five i think it's horrible I think the the limited decision making that it kind of has makes it good for younger players because they're not like overwhelmed in a sea of trick taking thought. They can just be like, oh, I have to play a green card. I have two green cards. Oh, no, I think it's awesome. Your kids picked up on it. 
and I, I wouldn't mind. I mean, if I had this in my collection, it would stay there. Like I, I don't, I don't find it to be a, a bad game per se. But yeah. I, there are other trick taking games I would pull out over it for sure. But I think it, oh, like you I said, depending on the group and the the audience, it's a good one. Very cool. So Dan, you got to play Broom Service, which was was that Kenner Spiel winner? Yep. Yes. Or regular Spiel? Kenner Spiel. Yeah. How was it? Definitely different. I've only played this once. And it took me, I'm not going to lie, it took me probably three or four of the seven rounds to kind of grok what was going on. The way it works mechanically, it's almost like kind of like a trick-taking game in a way, uh, the way the cards are played. Each player has the same 10 cards. On each of them is an ability or two abilities. So there's a cowardly witch and a brave witch. So there's two different sections on the bottom of the card. And what you do is you're going to pick at the start of each round, you're going to pick four of these cards. You can pick any four you want. And what happens is starting with the first player, they're going to play a card. And let's say they played the the green witch, for instance. And they'll say, they'll play the green witch and they'll say either weak or the cowardly or brave. So I am the brave wizard, for instance. Um, They'd say that. And what happens is you go around the table and everyone else who has the green witch in their hand has to play it. The thing there is when you play it, you could say the cowardly wizard, which or cowardly witch, which lets you take a weakened action regardless. But if you go bold and you say, I'm the brave witch, that only holds up as long as nobody else claims to be the brave witch. So it gets into a little bit of a mind game going around the table trying to determine what other players played the green witch, for instance. Like, Who else do you think has the green witch in their hand? And do I need to just go ahead and go with the cowardly witch just so I get to take an action? Because if you go brave, let's say I go brave to start with and then Tiff comes behind me and she has the green witch and she goes, no, I'm the brave witch. I get nothing because I went brave and Tiff countered my brave with her brave. So you have to kind of time based on what you think other players are going to play within their hand versus what you actually need on the board. So a really cool dynamic, but that that kind of trick-taking aspect where you have to follow, that didn't really register with me for a couple of rounds. And then when it clicked, I was like, ah, I got it. Okay, so I need to look at this, this, and this to kind of make sure that I'm, I'm set, et cetera. Other than that, it's basically just a kind of like a, a set collection pick up and deliver game. It's based off an old card game, but what they've added with broom service was the board aspect of it. And they've tweaked a couple of other rules, but you know, you can go around, you pick up these potions and then you're trying to deliver them to towers and you're trying to like clear away the clouds. And what's nice about this is there's a lot of different advanced variants. It had a very, uh, kind of Kramer Kiesling feel to kind of how it was kind of modulated in that you have a base game and then you can start adding in like an advanced version as you get better at it. So I, I liked it. I'm really impressed with this Alexander Fister. This guy is, he's pretty damn good. He also did Isle of Sky, which was my favorite game of Gen Con. He's just came out with Mombasa, which is like in my top five must get within the next month when it comes out from R&R. He's had some really good games and I've been really impressed with all of them. Cool. Uh, How does first player determined in that game? Because it sounds like going last would be super powerful. Whoever is the brave witch, whoever goes brave last gets to be the first player otherwise it's retained so that that plays into it too like okay i could go brave here because i know no one else can counter me but then i'm gonna go first and that means i have to choose between cowardly and brave first so it's a it it really is a it's a it's a mind f at times it really is cool do you think it's kenner spiel worthy 
of the three choices, I, I like it better than Elysium. I like Orléans. And this, yeah, I don't know. I don't know which one of the two I like better. But I like both of those better than Elysium. So Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, I will round out before we move on just the last couple couple updates. We taught Steve how to play Chimera, which was cool. Didn't play like a full game, but Chimera proves to be an excellent three-player kind of trick-taking ladder climbing game. Uh, and we've been playing a lot of the new Mysterium. Kel and I played it two-player. We played it four-player. We played it six-player or seven-player. It's good. I mean, it's Mysterium. I like the extra things that they've added. And that player screen proves to be a super good improvement over flipping cards over every time. So Mysterium's still good, even though now no one cares about it. So <laughs> Yeah, that's it's so weird. Like I like you guys played it last night and I, I really had no desire to play it. And it wasn't like me being unfun or anything like that, because obviously I jumped into time stories right after that with you guys, but I just I'm burnt on it. It's it's kind of like yeah. code names for yeah. me now. Like Mysterium was big last year at this time and it's taken this long to kind of get it to retail distribution to the majority. And it's like I yeah. But I understand a lot of people haven't had a chance to get it, so yeah, I was going to awesome. say we kind of hipstered that one pretty early, yeah, and and ruined it, but still fun. But I only like being the ghost now because I'm the same way. I don't I don't like playing the guesser. I still haven't played as the ghost. No, no, it's fun. We play. I mean, we played with Mike, who I think has played one time with Dan. We played with uh, his fiance Jenna and Bree and Kel and Eric, who have all played and really like it. So I mean, we had a bunch of gamers who are into it and jenna picked it up really well and we won which was cool so it proves to be a good like still kind of party-ish game intro game other than the ghost i don't find it to be that interesting my non-gamer friends love it and i think it, yeah. it's it's gotten to the point now where that's the only time i really want to play it is with new yeah, people because yeah. they find it so like exciting and interesting and that that kind of helps me elevate my game you know so to speak so yeah. Playing with all of us that have already played it, I get kind of, mm, okay. Yeah. Well, still good, though. No, it's, getting a, good, if it's you... a great game. Tiff and I just like our Ukrainian copies yeah. signed with all I'm the wishes excited. of your heart. <laughs> yeah. I think that every time we've played so far, everyone who has played the Ukrainian version and then played the American version says, wow, this looks amazing until they get their little player marker and they're like, damn. Those Ukrainian ones that were big and chunky, those were really nice. So that's the one difference that everyone likes the old version rather than the new version. Those Ukrainian ones are life-size crystal balls. <laughs> they I, they are. And it, literally, it's five people have commented on it. And I was like, I know. I know they're better. I'm sorry. You get these little dinky plastic ones. They don't look great. but Yeah, but you like, get the sweet like the ghost screen. screen. Yeah. The ghost screen the is worth one. it. Yeah, I, I really hope, and I don't, I don't know if they will. I really hope one of the companies that released it earlier will will come out with a screen as like an add on. I would pay money for that. Yeah. I would too. I don't think it's cool. going to happen though. No, probably not. They already have an expansion coming out from iGames. Do they? The Ukrainian company True. has an expansion that'll be out soon. Well, I'll get my uh, Western Union account yeah. fired up. Then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Well, let's go ahead and transition right into top of the stack, and we'll take a break after that. So. October recap and November top of the stack. Tiff, mm. disappointing news for top of the stack this month, but I'm, it's okay. It's still good. I'm really upset about top of the stack this month because I thought my three games were Samara, Between Two Cities, and Steampunk Rally, which would have made me be three for three for the first time ever. And I was wrong. <laughs> it would have been glorious. It would have. 
Oh, I was so proud of myself. But yeah, my three were Samara Between Two Cities and Pocket Imperium, which I haven't yet played. But I did play Samara and I did play Between Two Cities. And uh, so I, I did pretty well. Yeah. I did better than Dan and that's what's important. Oh, we will get there. Don't worry. So what do you have for November on tap, Tiff? Uh, for November, I want to play My Village. Uh, Dan was so kind to as to import. I pay my debts. For us. I pay my yes. debts. <laughs> <laughs> so that's pretty exciting because that was like my number one Essen thing that I wanted to get. Probably the only thing that I'm really super jazzed about. I want to play Roll for the Galaxy Ambition, which I did pick up and could play online at any point, everybody in the world that's listening. Um, and then Champions of Midgard, which I did pick up at Gen Con. I was very lucky uh, to get one of those and still haven't played it yet. So I feel really guilty about having that just sitting around and I've carried it to every game night, but haven't that, quite played it yet. I can't tell if I'm interested in that one or not. I've watched reviews and I almost bought it, mm. but it's like, is it dice placement? It's dice placement, isn't it? Honestly, it's been so long <laughs> since I researched it that I don't remember. That was Tiff's like number one game at Gen Con. It she was. ran there while I collected I a bunch of other really good games when she went and got that one. Dan, um, I don't run. And she still hasn't played it. I've heard positive things about it. It's just been an, an issue of I haven't had that many game nights. And when I go to Panericon, I literally bring two games because Chris Kopak brings like 10. So Yeah. <laughs> and I love him because I got like most of my Kickstarter things that I've gotten in the mail played because of that because he got those too. But uh, yeah, I didn't bring it this week and it wouldn't have gotten played anyway. So yeah. it'll well, get there. Top of the stack. It's It'll hopeful. get played this month, maybe. If I remember that it's on my list. Well, yeah, maybe <laughs> you should write that down and keep it in your pocket. <sighs> All right. But you know what's funny is you did better than Dan. Mm. Yes. So, Dan, how'd you do? I got zero. Zero. I had a rough October. I was looking at my stats, and I played 14 games in the month of October. And most of them were party-ish games, which really chaps my ass. It really is the scariest <laughs> month of the year. I, yeah. I mean, October like is a busy month because there's like pumpkin patches and apple uh, orchards and like all kinds of stuff that I have to do. Dan spent a lot, a lot of time around fresh produce. I have. I've, I've been to like five different like farms in the last like three weeks on the weekends and stuff. So it's good. My son really likes it, and it, you know, it gets me the family points that allow me to kind of hibernate and play games in the winter. So it was fun. I had fun with it too. So. He sacrificed October for everyone else's enjoyment in November and December. Yeah. I, I mean, I like the family activities too, but from a gaming standpoint, man, it was it was weak sauce. I ugh, ugh. I even registered a <laughs> so play you, of Cards Against Humanity, and that just ugh, ugh. oh wow, that was crap. Wow. So you didn't play Catacombs, you didn't play Colbaron, and you didn't play Last Will. Did not, and they're all in my car. So that's that. But sadly, they've been pushed down. Three more spots because I have an entirely different November uh, based on some recent acquisitions. As Tiff mentioned, my village uh, is top of my stack. Uh, I just read the rule book last night and punched it out. Um, it actually sounds really interesting, um, which I would expect from the brands. And as we talked about before, it is a completely different it's not village. The only thing that seems to be the same about village is the time mechanism and the way you have to kind of 
kill people. But other than that, you're building a village uh, using different village uh, parts, <laughs> so the buildings, etc. So completely different sounding game. So. I'm going to continue to call it Village the Dice Game because I know it upsets you. It's okay. It's not because they wouldn't do that. They don't sell out. The other one I have is uh, Palaces of Carrera. I got it in a trade. I am so pumped. Nice. Uh, this was my biggest coup at the end of October. Uh, I was so proud to get this um, German version, of course, but it's pretty language independent. Rules are read. Videos are watched. This one looks like a winner. I really can't wait to get this one out. And Tiff liked You'll it, like so it. we'll definitely talk about it because I want to talk about it. And the last one is... Ooh, the new splatter, Food Chain Magnate. I got this two weeks ago, and it's been sitting on my shelf, all heavy and beautiful. Going to say making your shelf sag. Yeah, it's it's such a tiny box. I was expecting actually something bigger from Splatter, but it actually comes in a smaller box. I think it's like the size of the their other one, like the Great Zimbabwe. Is that the one I'm thinking of that has the smaller box, not like the Roads and Boats box? Anyway, someone will correct me. But yeah, I'm looking forward to this because this one's supposed to be meaty goodness. Very cool. I uh, I did okay. I got two out of three in October. I played Game of Thrones card game with Kel. I even taught Dan this. And yep. he didn't despise it, but he probably won't play it again. And I played some Pandemic Legacy. And I had Vault Wars in my hand. Read the rules. I had it open. little magnetic box was open. And Steve said, oh, you want to play that game? And I said, yeah, it'd be cool. And Ben said, or we could play Chimera. And I can't pass up a chance to play Chimera. It's just so good. So I put Vault Wars back down and accepted my 66% instead of my 100%. And I'll play it some other time. Uh, Because it did not make my top of the stack for November. I actually, my first game is Above and Below, which we just chatted about. And I have that, so I want to get that played. I almost put my village instead of that, which means that my whole list would have been inside of your guys' list. And we could have all gotten 100% together. But uh, my second one is Food Chain Magnate because this game is kind of hot. Dan's got it. I definitely want to try it out. It sounds pretty cool. Sounds nice and heavy. And my last one is Roll for the Galaxy Ambition because I also picked that up. New dice, new tiles. I punched it. I've read it. Ready to go. Just got to get it to the table or onto the virtual tabletop, Tiff. I'm down I'm for that. I'm sensing some. Maybe we can cooperate on this uh, top of the stack here. So that those are my three games. And with that, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we go back to the old BGG questions list. And we will answer some of those for you guys before we wrap up the show. So join us for that. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are going to jump into, Do we? is it a mailbag? Do we call it the mailbag? Let's call it the mailbag. Uh, all right, the old, the old mailbag. Can it be the mail sack? The mail sack, yes. All right, we're going to the sack for some questions. And Dan, I, I have no comments. Go ahead. Well, thanks all for putting stuff on our sack. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, we, uh, we had so many questions. We thought we'd just try and knock a few more out. Plus, we were... Less than creative this week. So <laughs> thank you guys. So I'm going to start off. I'm going to put Tiff on the hot seat because um, we had a specific question from our listener. This is uh, X Walker on BGG. Do you, this, These are about your gaming club. So do you use your personal games for game club 
or did the school buy them? And the second part of that question is, do you have multiple copies of the same game or do you just alternate what gets played on different tables? Well, it all started out as my games. The The school does not fund the board game club in any way, shape or form. Although I've had a few donations of Sorry and Clue and the like. So I thank you, PTA. <laughs> actually, they were from our guidance counselor. He just had him sitting around in his office because at some point they tried to have, I don't know. So he gave them to me and they're there. But the kids aren't allowed to play them unless they play a real game first. Bam. <laughs> <laughs> it's a rule. Uh, so they're, they were all my personal games at some point. Most of them I have kind of just donated to the board game club because they're not getting played by my group or the kids have destroyed them to a sufficient level that I will not have them in my collection. <laughs> and as far as multiple copies go, I have multiple copies of King of Tokyo uh, because that is a popular one and the kids will fight for it. But for the most part, we just have one of everything. And they're like I said, they're the kids style type games that I've tried out that maybe didn't go over so well with my my adult group and then I've just sort of shifted them over to where they're better appreciated and we kind of have rules on you have to try a new game before you play King of Tokyo kind of a thing. You've got good rules, Tiff. Yeah, I this year I've had to institute a lot more rules. Last year it was way more of a like, yeah, just play a game. It's fine. I just want you to try this. Now mm -hmm. I'm like you need to branch out. It's time to shape. Yeah, it's been like having the rules have definitely made them, you know, explore a little bit more. And you got to get King of New York for him. I have it. Ah, and we've nice. played it. I just that one is my personal copy. So when uh -oh. I do bring my own games that are mine that I intend to put back into my collection, I'm I will sit there and watch them play it because kids are just not careful in any way, shape, or form the way an adult is careful. <laughs> they think they're being careful, but they're not. And I make them wash their hands. They can't even enter my room for board game club until they go wash their hands. Because kids are sticky. Yep. Very sticky and moist. Ugh, you know? Like, why? Why are you like this? I don't know. <laughs> like, it would bother me. And I mean, I guess I was just like a hand washer when I was a kid, but geez. Miss Tiff is, <laughs> she's the mean board game over- Lord. Hey, they do it. They don't have a problem with it. And if they do, they don't tell me about it. So they've learned. I was going to say, if they do, you can get out. <laughs> they need boundaries, guys. I'm just creating boundaries. And hand sanitizer. Mm -hmm. All right, Dan, what's next? All right. So this, well, this will be geared towards Tiff, but both of us. Well, I said both of us. I meant the other two of us. And I don't think any of that was English, but that's okay. So for hipster games... What are some ways that you find out about them? And what is your process for determining their quality before you purchase? Now, I'll answer that for Tiff right off. She just buys anything. But now yeah. I'll let her answer. Yep. The less English, the better. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes that's true. I can find hipster games just by scouring through Board Game Geek, the depths of Board Game Geek. That's sometimes how it happens. I, I follow W. Eric Martin around quite a bit and take his recommendations. Around? <laughs> just, yeah, I like, you know, go down to North Carolina and just hang out outside of his house. He doesn't know, but it's fine. No. Uh, <laughs> whenever I see him at a convention, I'm like, what do I need to get that is not here? 
<laughs> so uh, I, I take his advice and I pay attention to what he's been playing. So because he's the ultimate board game hipster. Same goes for Matt Wolf. I'll pay attention to what he's been playing and 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 do it that way. But there are geek lists of you know Japanese games. If you if you look around on Board Game Geek, there are just a lot of interesting geek lists. So I usually just get kind of in the depths of those. And if something piques my interest, I'll I'll research it a little bit more thoroughly. I usually go based on theme. So if I find a theme that's really quirky, I'll just buy it. I don't really vet that carefully. I'll look at component quality. If it looks like trash, I won't buy it. But if the components look okay and the theme looks interesting and it doesn't seem boring, I, I'll i take a risk on a hipster game. So that's my process. I don't really have a huge like barrier that prevents me from just ordering games. <laughs> and just, just so we're clear... Being a hipster means she'll never play it either. So she just That's owns it. That's not true. Oh, who got it. their top of the stack nearly complete? Oh, uh, but they weren't hipster games. Dan? They were mainstream. Okay, mainstream. but I play my hip. Mm. You sold out to get that almost 100%. I'm just kidding. <sighs> yeah, okay, Dan. That's cool. See, I do see something in two similar. weeks. What's up? See you in two weeks. Yep. I'll that punch you in the face. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I kind of do something similar. I really, I either talk to Tiff or I just kind of look. What I what I love to do is at work, like during lunch, I'll just go onto foreign websites and I'll just do searches and just literally I'll like set their browse their um their page to like show me a hundred listings and I'll just literally just scroll for like an hour and if anything <laughs> catches my attention, I'll write it down. I'll do a BGG or a trick track search on it and just kind of see what it's about and. If I like it, I add it to a list and I'll order it next time I get something overseas. So that's that's my favorite way to do it. Like just a bunch. That's how I've gotten a lot of my like little card games and yeah. all kinds of different things. Or if you go to like board game, uh, board game Bliss's import section, just look through there. You can find some little gems. Yeah, that's pretty much my method. I think I just learned that what I need to do is get a desk job like Dan because you can sit and scroll for an hour at a time. Uh, I, I don't encounter that a lot. That so I, I do what Tiff does, or Tiff just said. I just go to the import retailers and see what they have, because that's where I, you know, it's the easiest way to find. So they're not super hipster when I find a game, uh, but occasionally I find something that some people don't know about. Tiff knows about everything, so <laughs> I can't get one by her. I can't out hipster Tiff. So sometimes I, I have. Dan's I done say. it. Once. I've done it a few times. Okay, yeah, don't but get it's not easy because she does kind of like that's her wheelhouse. That's where she kind of lives. Especially in the summer, you can't get things past me when I'm on vacation. I'm on Board Game Geek like twenty four oh, yeah. seven. When Tiff is <laughs> temporarily unemployed for the two months in the summer, <laughs> she is, she's on her game. Oh, please, let's go there. <laughs> so the answer to the question is, what are the ways you find about them? You don't work is the key <laughs> one. <laughs> yep. Quit your job and search the internet. Yep. That's basically the one-two-step process. Oh, and the hipster question was from JM on BGG. So thanks a lot, JM. This one's from Matt Wolf. What's an example of a game that you were really excited about and let, then let you down when you played it? And then opposite that, what's a game you didn't want to play at all, but then ended up liking it? Matt. I'm looking at my shelves to kind of try to see if any of these games stand out to me. I am going to start with a game that I was excited about that then let me down, I guess. 
uh, and I'll come back to a game that I didn't want to play at all and end up liking because I need to think about that one. But I I don't get into a lot of games that I that let me down just because I'm so easy to please. Um, one of the games just kind of looking straight back at my shelf and seeing is Say Bye to the Villains. I grabbed that game when Seiji Kanai was still like the hotness when uh, Love Letter was still going crazy. And I thought it was cool because it was a co-op game, small box, Japanese art, and it was a waste of 15, 20 bucks. I thought it sounded really cool. I watched some videos and then when I played it, I was like, yeah, this is pretty forgettable. And it informed future purchases. You know, the, the few mistakes that I've made in buying games have helped me not make those mistakes in the future. So that was one that stood out to me. I it's kind of a pass. So Tiff, go ahead. Well, the the let me down part is pretty easy as everyone knows. I was super disappointed with Shiny Dice after Gen Con and I was excited about that and I even put in some allowance for like it not being perfect because it's an IP thing and sometimes that's a thing. If it had been just even remotely good, I would have been pleased. And it just let me down so so hard. It was not good. Yeah. 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 So that 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 was by far the most disappointing game that I've played. Even expecting to be slightly disappointed it was disappointing so ugh, sorry yeah. about that i feel bad saying it but it's true yeah and i'll say even with tiff being slightly disappointed now i'm even more disappointed so there's all <laughs> kinds of disappointment if you can follow that building off I, that was probably my my number one as well but i'll jump down to my number two though i had a backup plan and that's xcom i was so excited for xcom uh one of my favorite pc IPs. I really love the turn-based kind of strategy and the oh, I just love XCOM. It's so good. The board game was not so good. Um, I left just wanting to just go play the video game. There was no point in playing the board game for me. It was just such a letdown. It's perfectly fine. I, I think there's many that would agree with me on this too, but it's just, it's not that interesting. It's just repetitive and it had a couple of interesting mechanics, but at the end of the day, it wasn't it just didn't grab my attention at all. I just wanted that timer to be done with, and then I wanted to go play the computer game. That's that one. Uh, all right, what about a game that surprised you when you didn't want to play, and then you liked it? I'm trying to think about that. I think there are several of them that fall into this category for me, but I'm trying to think of what would be like the biggest one that like I, I was like, please don't make me play this. I don't want to do that. And I'm coming up with Just like, no right means now. no. <laughs> That happens to me so often, honestly. I mean, I could definitely use Spyfall. I've hated the first time I played that. And I really didn't want to play it at all. In fact, I quit. Uh, and then I played it with a different group and it was fine. But I don't love that game, so I'm not going to use that. I'm going to say Copycat. It's a Freedom on Freeze game. And it has deck building and it pulls from a lot of different games. It's not particularly like beautiful, so it's not really... When I looked at it, I was like, oh, I don't know about all this. And uh, and I ended. I really like that game a lot. I I am looking and I can't. <laughs> I can't think of anything that I didn't want to play that I ended up loving. Typically, I like most things and I'm always willing to play something. I mean, so just what's too... yours, Dan? Like what really 
Me? Because, yeah, I feel like I'm too easily pacified here. I'm just too You are. You do love amenable. everything. <laughs> Mine was uh, Cyclades, if I had to pick one oh. recently. Uh, this was a game that I kind of, I even said it during our Bruno Cathala thing that I really had no interest in it because of its kind of conflict-based mechanics and things like that. And then one of our lovely listeners, Mr. Patrick Hillier, who we're going to answer his question next, he said, why don't you try it? And he kind of convinced me that it wasn't as conflict dice rolly as I thought it was. And I sat down and I played it with them and I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. So that would be mine. I I did come across four more games that I was disappointed in, though. <laughs> so that's that's weird. Captain's Wager. Oh, that was horrible. Nations the Dice Game. Village Crone. And Cosmic Encounter. Oh, I like Cosmic Encounter. I do too. It just let me down compared to what I was expecting I with the gameplay. You. But yeah, no, I, I feel like, is this what it's like to be you, Dan? <laughs> what? There's a shield in our logo for a reason. It prevents shitty games. It's, it's a defense. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh my. Uh, let's go ahead and answer Patrick's question. All right. So Patrick's question was, what is the most mundane game that you like? So I'll start out and... I interpreted this as a game that's just maybe not all that interesting, but it's still a game and you still like to play it. And for me, it's been this recent phenomenon of Cheeky Monkey. This is a Reiner Knizia game and it's so mundane, but I absolutely love it. And I've actually purchased it. Uh, you're basically drawing these little chips out of a bag and trying to like collect different animals. And it's got some math involved in like the probabilities of pulling them out. But it literally all you do is you pull them out. It's a pressure luck thing. If you fail, they go back in the bag and you pass the bag. If you pass, you collect them and put them on your stack. <laughs> it's really, there's all it is to it. But I, I find just so much pure enjoyment out of it. I don't know why. You're a weird guy, Dan. Indeed. Thanks. I, uh, in terms of mundane games, I, I go back to a classic, like I really like hearts and I think that that is kind of a mundane game. It's, it doesn't feel very inspired in the world of designer board games, but it is a classic and I just, I don't think you can get better than that when it comes to trick taking. I mean, you, you can, you can get more interesting, but there's something about it just being a classic for a reason because it works kind of thing. So that was the first one that came to mind. I also thought about Elkfest, but Elkfest is awesome, and I don't think it's mundane. There's nothing mundane Even about flicking discs and moving moose across the river. <laughs> See, I think objectively there is, but man, that game's amazing. So Okay. Yeah, I, I had a hard time with this one because... If I like it, I don't see it as mundane. Like, yeah. I mean, mundane essentially, like, it it means unexciting. But if I like it, then I'm excited by it. So it's just like a confusing question. But I would say probably the most, like, commonplace sort of game that I still love and play that, you know, a lot of designer gamers kind of just are like, yeah, I don't play that anymore, is Carcassonne. I still love Carcassonne. Like, a lot. And... Man, and, and if you talk about Carcassonne Hunters and Gatherers, oh, I love it so much. Any Carcassonne. That's fair. Is, I like I, Carcassonne. I still play it. Yeah. All right. So let's move right along. This one comes again from Matt Wolf, who gave us a whole ton of questions in our sack. Love that guy. <laughs> <laughs> the sack thing is really killing me. How have your gaming tastes changed over the past few years? Go ahead, Matt. This is, this is a cool question because as someone who likes everything... 
I still feel like I've developed as a gamer. I feel like I've really come to appreciate certain things about the specific like genres that I gravitate towards. Um, we started this whole deal just like playing Catan and it was, we play Catan like every day for months and months and months. And just the range and the depth of games that we play, I really appreciate the heavy, the light, the in-between. I've really come to appreciate the social aspect. That's probably the biggest thing is evaluating games on their ability to facilitate social interaction because, and maybe that's just my psych brain. I, I just appreciate what it does for bringing people together. And as a social guy, I think I've become a more social person as I've played. So my gaming tastes have moved into having a good experience with people, no matter what kind of game I'm playing. It doesn't have to be a party game. It could be a super heavy game, but just the the experience of sitting at a table with people is really kind of how I've how I've grown. We're proud of you, Matt. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. Tiff? Yeah, like mine have changed a lot, and I've I think I've gone through several like phases. So when I started off, you know, I started off like everybody else, but I really gravitated towards more Ameritrashy dudes on a map, modular board, attacky dice rolly things. And then after that, for a while, I was really like heavy Euro dry as dry can be, sort of Dan esque, if you will. And then <laughs> Dan esque. That's a compliment. Yeah, okay. And sure, you can take it that way. And and now I I mean I'm still pretty omnivorous. I'll I still like my Ameritrash and I still like my heavy euros, but I think I'm liking games that are a little bit lighter these days. Uh, 45 minutes is my perfect playtime, which you definitely couldn't say that of where I started from. Like 3 hours was my ideal playtime. At one point. So, yeah, I think I've just, I've gone lighter and lighter, or I went heavier than lighter. I don't know. You've really become an adult, Tiff. I don't have time. I've got things to do. (laughs) Gotta take out the trash. I've just learned to appreciate simpler games, yeah? That's what I like to think. Yeah. And for Dan, we all know that he's become less and less socially apt, and he's curled up into a ball, and now he's like a Euro hermit. So, we don't really need to talk to him about his taste, right? (laughs) That's pretty close. Um, <laughs> no, I think I've like refined my tastes over the like I've kind of figured out what I really like. And like Tiff said, there's only you know there's only so much time in the day as as you get older and more responsibilities get heaped on you, especially now that I have a kid and you know married, all that stuff. But I've kind of realized what brings me joy because obviously fun in board games is the ultimate goal but fun is relative to the person you're talking to so for me i've kind of found my fun and it's not to say you know you guys always joke that i don't have fun but for me sitting and puzzling out something is so much fun (laughs) but i have kind of accepted that you know like i said fun can be found in different genres of games and i'm not i'm not against it i've always said i'll try anything once and I've, i've pretty much stayed true to that um, that's that's been my kind of mantra and then i'll crap on it but <laughs> at least i'll try sometimes it before yeah so like doing all these trades has really kind of helped me understand my gaming tastes because i've been able to kind of make the tough decision about what stays in the collection and what's going to go and i've been able to do it with kind of a clean conscience so i'd say that's the biggest thing and disposable income that's kind of increased a little bit which has been helpful in this in, in this hobby <laughs> Um, True, which allows you to buy more and more games. But 
I think just I, in the last six months, and you guys, I think we've talked about this, like I've really reined in my buying to be to. more quality-based as opposed to quantity. Well, and I'm not searching anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like for a long time, I was like, I what is my ultimate genre of game that I love, you know? I'm not really searching for that anymore. In fact, there are entire genres of games that I've determined I just will not play. And maybe at some point I was like, I'll play any game once. But I've kind of just determined like, Oh, it's a social game about storytelling? No. Uh, I, I've just learned that there are certain games that I just shouldn't try because I know I won't like and I'll ruin it for everybody else that would like it. I actually had something like that happen to me at Umpub. Uh, Bruce from the Party Gamecast, who's here in Maryland, came up and he's like, hey, do you want to play this negotiation demo um, that we're <laughs> going to try out? And I said, no. I, I said, uh, if I'm going to be honest, I don't. Those aren't my my best games and i don't want to bring down the play test of that game you know with my kind of just going through the paces i don't think i'd be the best suited person for that and he was like that's cool no i appreciate that you know and it was nice to kind of for him to kind of say that because i i felt bad saying no but right. for him to kind of understand that i knew what i would like and what i wouldn't like it was it was a nice feeling i think unpub taught me that same lesson i sat through enough social prototypes to know like I don't want to do this to you in your game, so I'm not going to. I am not your target market. No. Yeah. So, good question. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Okay. So, this one comes from our buddy Travis Hill, who has lambasted us for the last two weeks since the last podcast about how we don't drink coffee. (laughs) Sorry, Travis. Sorry. But I did say that I will, if he finds a good one at BGGCon, I will attempt to drink a coffee, which... Could be horrible. I might have to like periscope my facial reaction because it's probably going to be very like. Your stomach is not going to forgive you. I yeah, that's cool. Thankfully, I have my own. But hey, you'll be awake to play games. Yeah, that's good. That's cool. So Travis comes back to us with a a question. I think is a little easier for me to answer, and that is, what are some other podcasts that you enjoy? Obviously, we're not alone in what we do, and we all have kind of taken inspiration uh, from various podcasts. So what do you guys think? I don't think this necessarily has to be board games either, because I have a couple on my list that aren't board games. I could talk for days about this. <laughs> I don't know where I start. Tiff, you're probably more pared down than I. Um, Maybe. I have, within the last year or so, really gotten into listening to the Frog Pants Network of Podcasts. Uh, I listen to the morning stream every day. I think it's a great little kind of hodgepodge news, geekiness, sort of even some music in there. I think it's a great just like daily podcast to listen to. Uh, kind of in that same vein, I listen to We Have Concerns, which is they, they find news stories and they sort of improv and riff off of those. I let's see what else. I like movies, so uh, Film Sack and How Did This Get Made, where they watch bad movies and kind of talk about, well, somewhat bad movies and kind of talk about them so bad it's good sort of a thing. And uh, I still listen to The Dice Tower. It's the one board game podcast that I've constantly listened to. I, the other ones sort of go in and out because, I don't know, occasionally I feel inundated with board game information and need to take a break from it. And I feel like the Dice Tower is probably going to be pretty current on games. So if there's new stuff I need to know about or check out, that's an easy way for me to listen to it. Uh, whereas the other ones, 
you know, I, I let those drop off from time to time and then come back to them. So, I mean, that's mostly what I listen to. Dan, how about you? Honestly, my podcast listening has dropped in the last probably year and a half. I switched jobs to be closer to home and it really reduced my commute. My commute now is only like 15 miles as opposed to like the 60 it was before. So back then I was like really like eating up like long, heavy podcasts. Now I, sometimes I want some music to be honest with you, just to get me uh, to I and never from. want music. <laughs> Yeah, I love music, so I'll put on my my electronic dance music, get me going in the morning. But I do listen to a lot. I mean, and having done the podcast as well, it just kind of reduces my free time because we're editing and recording and doing stuff like that. But um, lately, my podcasts have been design focused. I find because that's not something we readily cover and have as much experience in, I like to listen to other people talk about it. So the game designer roundtable. I really like that one. Dirk Niemeyer and uh, Rob Davio. Sometimes he's on there. Uh, they do that one. Uh, Ludology. That one's always pretty interesting. Uh, Jeff Engelstein and now Mike Fitzgerald talking games. I also listen to you know, Shut Up and Sit Down when theirs comes out on the monthly basis. Then we have our buddies like the Geek All-Star, State of Games. I listen to those when I have like a day and a half. i kid i mean they're good podcasts it's just i I can never get through them which one do you listen to during that day and a half yeah yeah you gotta (laughs) choose you can only pick one (laughs) no those guys are great i love them love you guys Uh, non-board gaming related i listen to men in blazers this is a soccer based or football as it should be said podcast two british guys that just talk about soccer they're hilarious they're on like nbc sports network um, I really like their show. Um, I've also started listening to Grammar Girl. This is a small kind of podcast, like 15-minute segments about just grammar tips and hints. Matt kind of turned me on to her website uh, a few months back, and I've just been listening to them every every week just for some quick hints because we do do written reviews. And I'm always looking to kind of improve my writing, especially from kind of a creative standpoint because I do a lot of technical writing at work. So it's nice to branch a little bit. So, yeah, there's just some of my my favorites right now nice i think that i it's fair to say that at least in this group at at in my area uh i'm known as like the podcast consumer my mom thinks i'm a crazy person my brothers are always making fun of me because i walk around with my phone just like blaring podcasts all the you time have it in the bathroom with you like we're like oh matt's I have here in the bathroom like coming out from under the door Kel comes in and i'm cooking and she's like what are you doing i'm like oh i'm listening about you know, renewable energy and trash compactors and things like that, because I just listen to whatever. So I actively subscribe to 25 podcasts that I keep up with. And then I do one off episodes of other stuff. So just to kind of it's a smattering of all kinds of junk in terms of gaming. I really like it. It all started with Drunks and Dragons, which is a D&D live play uh, podcast hundreds of episodes are available uh those guys are super goofy i also listen to you know state of games geek all stars one that i really have an affinity for is the spiel because they've been doing it for so long and those guys are really great guys um they put out a lot of high quality content outside of gaming i really like informational podcasts and my favorites are radio lab which is an npr Uh, podcast and then stuff you should know stuff you should know is just like one-off 30-minute topics where you learn about how this works or how that works and uh, i i just love learning random new things and uh, they've got like 700 episodes to check out 
I also really like Film Sack. And then I, I have a couple narrative podcasts that I listen to. I listen to Welcome to Night Vale, which is a weird... It, it's not Cthulhu-y, but it's got like that weird mystery intrigue kind of thing. But it's an, a narrative storytelling podcast. And Sayer, S-A-Y-E-R, that is a sci-fi narrative podcast which is super creepy and i love it i love tiff, that i think one i turned too. tiff onto that yeah. one <laughs> yeah uh that's great so lots of good stuff out there i really like the podcast medium it really is kind of my favorite way to consume just because i don't have a lot of time to dedicate otherwise like i'm always wandering around and i have time to listen at all times because i love you know i'm capable of ignoring people um and just kind of listening but i don't always have time to like sit down and and read or sit down and watch so i can take podcasts on the go anywho yeah i'm subscribed to a lot but like i said i don't get to listen to them like i was looking like it looks like i have like 20 inactive podcasts just because i just don't have the time to listen to yeah i recently pared down i did too yeah Yeah. you gotta do it every couple of months i was subscribed to a crazy amount of them shout out also to like blue peg big pink peg those guys are great um we've met them they're they're a lot of fun yeah, I mean, I listen to a lot of the staples, too. You're rolling dice, taking names, the cabal. I, I listen to all of them, but I like uh, you guys mentioned the board gaming stuff because we're so embedded in it. You almost have to like cycle because at times when something gets hot, you'll listen to the same content over and over again. Right. Um, so I can only hear about the grizzled so many times before I'm like, okay, I am also creating content about the grizzled. I got to skip this kind of thing. So, so the board gaming podcast, I pick and choose. Right. I'm a little more deliberately. Yeah. Cause I mean, I, I've been avoiding it cause it sort of c- contaminates my opinion. Like I just want to have my opinion without listening to 12 of my friends first. And that was kind of happening for a while. So I took a little break from listening to all of those exactly. guys, but, uh, yeah. you know, they have everyone's good doing good content out there yeah. though. Yeah, I mean, they're all worth listening to, um, especially the ones that have a particular bend, like the relationships for Blue Peg, Pink Peg, or um, like low player count. Some of the podcasts really have a particular angle that no one else is talking about that stuff. So I go to that specific content, right? Um, which is cool. We listen to ourselves a lot. I Well, yeah, <laughs> I listen to our own podcast, but that's mainly a quality control kind of thing. <laughs> yep. We see how that turns out. Mm. And I'll, uh, I'll quick plug here. On topic of podcasts, uh, the three of us are going to be doing a special segment for the Boards Alive podcast, another one that we we all like. Our buddies up there in Canada, God bless. Yeah, we are working out what the segment will be, yeah. but it we can guarantee it will be hilarious because that's our only qualification. Yes, mm. we were told can't guarantee anything. to be funny. So we will so try. We might just make fun of Dan or No, you make fun of me someone. because I'm not funny. That's how it works. That's the formula. All right. Well, if Tiff's volunteering, then I guess we'll go that <laughs> angle. All right, Dan. We have we have one more, which is the the penultimate question, right? Yep. Okay. So our final question uh, comes to us again from Matt Wolf, who just man a plethora of questions in the sack. Keep um, them coming. If all the members of the League of Nonsensical Gamers were stranded on an island, Survivor style, who would be the overall winner? The answer is me. So thank you all. It's been a great show. We'll talk to you later. This is a this is a big question. Tiff is raising her hands, but you guys don't see this. She's so short that all we can literally see is her hands. So that's that's qualific that's disqualification right there. 
You're tiny, Tiff. I feel like win. Tiff is super passive. <laughs> she can't reach coconuts or bananas, so I don't know what she would eat. Wow. Uh, How are your climbing skills, Tiff? <laughs> You'd be surprised. No. How are you? Can you whittle weapons out of sticks? Have we not watched Survivor? Like, I would just, you know, subtly make you guys do all of that stuff and, and then take you out. Oh, so you're going to be puppeteer. Oh, in the Obviously. league. Tiff is one of two females, so they will have probably some huge sway on a stranded island. I'm not going to get into it, but <laughs> I mean. Well, one of them is going to be my wife, so I don't know how that's well, going to work when out. you're stuck on an island together, you'll soon find this. <laughs> you know, you might want to uh, kill each other. Is this like game show survivor or are we like really surviving? It sounds like out? running man. <laughs> <laughs> like, are we post-apocalyptic surviving? Because that's going to change some things. It's just stranded yeah, on an island. How much gamma radiation is floating around? <laughs> this island could be anywhere. And I would still win. If we think about it, Kel is pretty scrappy. She's a nurse, Plus, she's too. she's a nurse, so she knows how to dissect us in our sleep. Yeah. I think we... Uh, we can all come to the conclusion that Ben would lose, and I think that's about all we can say. Uh, Steve might actually give us the victory. Aww. <laughs> Just kidding. We love you, Steve. Steve's Steve. notorious for it, like making one like mistake that hands the victory to someone unknowingly. It's hilarious. He's also one of the nicest people I've ever oh, met, yeah, yeah, so no, he no. might just kind of let it happen. We love Steve. It's hilarious. And he just keeps coming back for more, which we love. There's two things we can say. My first comment is that Ben will lose. My second comment is that Dan, Mike, and I will be at each other's throats the whole time. And that's how I win games in general. I just let the other people fight it out over these things. Turtle and Tiff. And I'm just yeah. over here. Just See, the trick is, Tiff, is can you outsmart Smee and his plotting? Yeah. Smee would be off in the corner making mead. He'd be out there. So maybe we, instead of fighting, should just all hang out and play board games on this island. And drink some mead. And drink mead. We do that. We could probably design a game, but I would win it. You can play so. as us, the league game. Yeah. The league survival. League survival. I like No, I it. meant like design a game on the island like that oh. we could play. Oh, 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 oh. Like, Sorry. go. I broke the fourth wall. <laughs> yeah, so. So me. Inconclusive. Me. Yeah. Maybe Tiff. What we really need to know is you guys need to go on to BGG Guild number 2077 and vote for who you think you would win. Who would win? Me. No? Yeah. I, I would I would wind up hating you all like I hate all games. Wow. And No, I'm kidding. I don't hate all wow, games. Dang. I hate when people say that. <laughs> the truth hurts, Dan. Uh, all right, everyone. So those are our questions. Thank you all for submitting. Please feel free to submit more questions. There is a thread at BGG Guild number 2077. We have space in the sack. So we have space in the sack. So did you say sacks plural? Because that's making it he worse. You did Dan. say sacks plural. You're making it worse. All right. Throw your questions up there. Clearly, we're, we're willing to entertain just about anything. So feel free. Other than that, you can find us on Facebook. By searching for the League of Nonsensical Gamers, you can always shoot us an email at podcast at nonsensicalgamers.com. You know the guild. Uh, there's also a post up there for a micro badge. Feel free to ask for some geek gold and rep yourself a tiny meeple shield. That will protect you from crappy games. Ah, yes. Apparently that's what it's for. I didn't know all this time. Uh, you can find us on Instagram. I do a ton of board game posts. Stan does board game posts. And we also have a League account. Or... Anywhere else, you know, uh, Google Plus, we're all over the place. 
The big thing for us, though, if you like the show, we would appreciate it if you gave us some iTunes reviews. They don't have to be five star. They can be legit, whatever you think of our show. But we just would like the feedback so that we can improve and uh, and get our show noticed. Or hearts on board game links. Those are always appreciated. Or reviews on Stitcher. The best way to talk to us directly, though, as you may already know, is on Twitter. Miss Tiffany B, if people want to chat with you, how do they do that? I am at ineptgamer. And Dan, if they want to chat with you? At League Nonsense or at Scandalous underscore Ned. That's my personal account. And if you lovely people would ever like to talk with me, I am at Cinnamon Buns. Sorry that it takes up so much, so many characters in the tweet. But as for now, you can join us next week for a broadcast news episode and we can all say our goodbyes. Toodles. Bye. See ya.